0: No good, a professional. Put
1: that away, or I'll call for help. Richard. CID, there's been a murder. Call the police. Richard Norman worked for Scotland Yard. He came to Hong Kong to investigate the tin holding case and got himself killed. Don't
0: move, CID. Senior Inspector Anna Young. The lady from Scotland Yard. Thank you! Yard! Hey! Get back to the kitchen, let's do it. Back up! You're too late! Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of season 4 of Heroic Purgatory, an Asian cinema podcast. My name is John and with me as always my co-host Jason. Jason, how are you doing today?
1: I'm okay, John. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm good as well. Uh, so with a, in the second episode of uh, Heroic Purgatory, we yeah. return to Hong Kong with a double feature. And that is the, the two Michelle Yeoh starring movies, Yes Madam and uh, Royal Warriors. Uh, so Jason... Why don't you start, as always, by telling us a little bit about
1: these two movies? So, Yes Madam is credited as the founding film of the Girls with Guns action subgenre. Yes Madam came into being at the studio d and Films in 1985. Looking for a way to make new content, the studio created a star vehicle for Michelle Yeoh, who was going under the name of Michelle Kahn at the time. And they gave her the lead role in a film that put a new spin on the action genre by having two uh, heroes played by women, and that would be Yes Madam. The film, released almost a month before Jackie Chan's police story, would launch Michelle Yeoh and American martial artist Cynthia Rothrock into lead actress territory and action film stardom, as well as creating a space for more female fighters to emerge. So the plot goes like this. After a British businessman is killed and microfilm uh, that would be used as evidence against a gangster is stolen, Inspector Ng of the Royal Hong Kong Police and Inspector Carrie Morris of Scotland Yard join forces to retrieve the film. Said film is in the hands of a trio of small-time crooks who go under the names Aspirin, Panadol and Strepsil. They provide the comedy as various criminals and the police chase them around Hong Kong to get the film back. So, the cast includes Michelle Yeoh as Senior Inspector Ng, Cynthia Rothrock as Senior Inspector Carrie Morris, uh, Action Choreographer and Actor Mang Hoi as Aspirin, Director and Writer Choi Hark as Panadol, and Actor, Writer and Producer John Shum as Strepsil. And we also have Dick Wei as one of the villains of the piece. Other names in the cast include Samuel Hung, Richard Ng, Brute Chan, the director, and the director of the film, Corey Yoon himself, who appears on the screen. Behind who this, does he uh, play?
0: Who does the director play?
1: He's credited as one of the policemen, I believe. Oh, I see. Hmm.
0: I guess I don't know what he looks like, so it's not surprised that I wouldn't recognize him.
1: Yeah. he's uh, not. He's, he actually went to the Peking Opera School at the same time as Samu Hung and um, Jackie Chan and Yoon Biao, and uh, he's pretty famous as... Uh, Director, although not as famous as uh, the previous uh, names mentioned, he yeah, of directed, yes, madam, uh, the Cynthia Rothrock Yoon action film Writing Wrongs, the Jackie Chan Samu Hung Yun Biao movie Dragons Forever, which he co-directed, and uh, he also uh, made She Shoots Straight. And I think he made uh, he also made a number of Hollywood movies as well. The writer is Barry Wong. And um, he's uh, written a number of screenplays for major Hong Kong movies, such as Heart of the Dragon, Mr. Vampire, Writing Wrongs, Millionaire's Express, Eastern Condors, Queen Dragons, and Hard Boils. So, uh, producer Sammo Hung, and also John Sham, who's uh, playing uh, the role of um, Strepsil in this film. And uh, those two set up the studio G- d Films. Alongside Dixon Poon, who's a business entrepreneur and um, sort of like big in selling watches. So uh, that film, Yes Madam, made over 10 million Hong Kong dollars at the box office and was a bit of a hit. And so it got a sequel, released a year later in 1986, called Royal Warriors. And it sees Michelle Yeoh return to the silver screen, but as a different character. She plays Michelle Yeoh. A Hong Kong police detective. As she is returning from holiday in Japan, she gets caught up in a plane hijacking. She takes out the criminals with the help of Michael Wong, a security guard, and Yamamoto, a Japanese Interpol agent looking to retire to be with his wife and daughter. The actions of this heroic trio put them in the crosshairs of the remainder of the criminal gang responsible for the hijacking. These guys are deadly army veterans who will stop at nothing to get revenge. So leading the cast is Michelle Yeoh again, And she's supported by Michael Wong, uh, who plays like the security guard, air marshal, and uh, love interest. And you've got Hiroyuki Sanada, who plays Yamamoto, the Japanese Interpol agent. Uh, The crew, uh, this time we have a different director, David Chung. And uh, he's worked more as an experienced cinematographer, particularly on Stephen Chow films like Love on Delivery. And he also uh, lends An Hui's The Secret. And uh, writing credit goes to um, Kan Chung Sang. Uh, who wrote screenplays for Kung Fu Hustle, The Mermaid, Shaolin Soccer, King of Comedy. So lots of Stephen Chow movies. Uh,
0: so you did mention that um, Yes Madam catapulted Michelle Yeoh and uh, Brothrock to the stardom, but I think that that was their first movie. Uh, Michelle Yeoh is not her first movie, but her first starring role.
1: Yeah, she had um, bit parts in um, other D&B films, particularly, is it, um, oh, what's the Sammo Hung movie, uh, 1980s. Bumbo, the owl versus Bumbo or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Where she plays a uh, love interest. And I think did characters. she do
0: TV? She might have done TV.
1: Yeah, she did um, advertisements, so she got involved with D and films through a watch ad where she's um, paired up with Jackie Chan. And she yeah, said yeah, at the time right. yeah. her Cantonese was so terrible that when they, uh, when she was told Jackie Chan's name in Cantonese, she had no idea who he was until he turned up on the set and she's like, "Oh, I recognize that nose. Very famous." Yeah.
0: And uh, well, as for Rothrock this was her first movie at all, right?
1: Yeah. Um she's uh at this point she's a martial arts champion um and she's touring with uh, a team of uh, other martial artists and she goes to a screen test where I believe the producers are looking for a male martial arts star, but she really impressed uh the producers and she got a role in the film.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I think I don't I, I forget exactly how you said it, but they, was they were the producers in the in the preparation for this film? I don't think they were looking to make a two female starring movie, right? I think Michelle Yeoh was set up, but I don't think Rothrock's role was meant to be a female.
1: No, I don't think so. Um, from what I've read, it seems like they were looking for uh, another Bruce Lee figure.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of from a commercial standpoint, it makes more sense to have like a male and a female lead sort of pair. Bear up and maybe introduce a romantic st- subplot there or something like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, but all right. So, what did you, you know, what's your, what uh, was your first opinion of these films, of these two films, both Yes Madam and Royal Warriors? And uh, what uh, did you think upon rewatching them?
1: So, I actually came into the, um, these two films are part of the In the Line of Duty series. Uh, and I actually came into the series through the fourth film, which was released in the UK by Hong Kong Legends, and that one stars Cynthia Khan and um, Donnie Yen. And uh, Michael Wong returns, but as a different character. Uh, So uh, these two films, Yes Madam and Royal Warriors, these were like uh, first-time watches for me. I was uh, really impressed by the action scenes in Yes Madam, but I found the drama comedy really tiresome. So every time the trio of crooks were on screen, I just heaved a big sigh and told myself to be patient and wait for the ladies to return and start beating the guys up again uh royal warriors on the other hand felt much sleeker story-wise as there were like fewer characters and story kept giving the few characters we follow a lot of conflict and then motivation for vengeance and then that fed back into the action scenes and um yeah speaking of action scenes i thought there was um a greater variety of approaches to them in the second film so you had like car chases and gunfights and lots of props and scenery being used not just martial arts and uh It's a a really good action experience, but, like, the fight choreography and the fighting in the first film sort of edges it for me. So I think uh, Yes, Madam is probably, like, my preferred of the two films. But ultimately, I thought both films do brilliantly to introduce us to Michelle Yeoh and Cynthia Rothrock because they're, like, full of charisma. Well, she's not in the second film. Rothrock is not in the second film. No, 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 and Rothrock's not in the second film. But, like, these two films really do, like, set the groundwork for female action heroes. And these two are like perfect because they're full of charisma and their martial arts are great.
0: Yeah. So I, my, my opinion is slightly reversed from yours. So I've, I had seen this film before. Uh, I watched them again. And actually, it's a bit unfortunate because I could not rewatch Yes, Madam in preparation for this episode. I watched it for the previous episode in preparation for Police Story 3, Super Cop, the cop that can be stopped. And uh, I, I said that, that at the end of the episode that I got the Criterion channel and that was available. But since then, after that, it was removed from the Criterion channel. So I had no way to see it without buying the DVD or something. So I was very disappointed. Uh, so my my memory of, uh, what, of Yes Madam is about three weeks old at this point. Uh, whereas Royal Warriors, I was able to rewatch it again uh, in uh, in a short time in preparation for this episode. So that's a bit more fresher. Uh, but hopefully I, I remember Yes, Madam good enough uh, so that I can make uh, an intelligent, dis- that I can participate in an intelligent discussion about it. Uh, but yeah, the first time that I watched these two movies, I enjoyed them a lot. Um, and upon rewatching them now, I enjoyed Yes, Madam a little less. And I think my opinion for Royal War has kind of stayed up. I do agree with you that uh, Yes, Madam, the fight scenes are very good. But I think my issue with that film is that anything other than the fight scene, I found it not bad, but somewhat, somewhat a, a significant re- reduction in quality. That you're just kind of waiting for the next fight scene in that movie. Yeah. Uh, whereas Royal Warriors, I think it's it's a great film. I think Royal Warriors is just an immediate increase in quality, not just. Uh, even even if that movie is wall-to-wall action, too, the, the part that is not action, I think, works really well. Whereas in Yes, Madam, I find Michelle Yeoh good, but somewhat, I I don't love Michelle Yeoh's performance in, in Yes, Madam. Especially, like, the part where she tries to be funny, uh, I find it, I don't think she's quite, she's quite gotten used And I mentioned this last time that I don't think Michelle Yeoh can play comedy in the same way that, say, Jackie Chan plays comedy. And I think in in this one, she kind of tries to do it a little bit.
1: She's on the record as saying that she chose an action film to make her big debut because it would not contain comedy, which would um, have her speak um, Cantonese, like really complex um, dialogue or have to rely on comic timing.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: I did not mind
0: the trio as much as you did. I found them pretty funny. Maybe it's just, in a silly way, it's not genius comedy or anything like that. But, uh, you know, you told me that one of them was Tui Hark and I did not realize that at all while I was watching it. I, I don't remember what the name of the other two actors were. But I thought I thought Tui Hark was pretty good uh, as kind of like the buffoon, or I don't know what how else you would describe him.
1: Well, he has the funny scene, which is in the apartment. Which is full of traps and um, little secret hiding places. Is he pieces. the one that dies? One
0: of them dies, doesn't he? Yes, he dies. Is and he the one that he, dies? Okay, he's yeah. the forger. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, And it's it's it, I, it caught me by surprise. I don't know, and maybe you can you can uh, express your opinion on this. But as uh, for three characters that were primarily there for comic relief, because there's no scene that involves except the end, and we can talk about that or close to the end that involves those three characters, that they have. I love the fact that they have med- medicinal names. Uh, Panadol. Uh, strepsil.
1: What
0: a, and what is the other one? Streptomycin or something? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but they all have like painkiller names. Like Panadol, I think it's like another name for acetaminophen. Aspirin and a- Strepsil. Strepsil, yeah, whatever. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. I just thought that was hilarious. Even though if it's like a one... Like a a, like a one note gag, I thought it was funny. I didn't mind it. That's basically that can express that. But for three characters that exist there primarily for comic relief, they are end up being the most tragic subplot of the film, right? Because one of them dies, and they just kind of go off the deep end.
1: And Uh, and also to like keep the MacGuffin going, right? The film, the MacGuffin of the microfilm.
0: Exactly, exactly. So I don't know what you think about that sort of like that abrupt tone switching with those
1: three characters. Well, I do agree they have the most tragic um, part of the film because, uh, like, throughout the film, they, they have a histrionic tone to their acting and there's a lot of mugging for the camera on the part of Choi Hark and that scene where he's in an apartment and he's being chased um, by a, a criminal he's betrayed is kind of funny, but I found the rest of the comedy didn't quite work for me and, um, like, the comedies, basically um, reliant upon uh, showing them as... Hopeless criminals, like they try to hustle. Uh, buffoons. Uh, they're they're yeah, the buffoons.
0: stereotypical. Uh, I don't know what else. Uh, uh, what what? Uh, there's a name for this, they're they're sort of like the Stephen Chow character, but
1: with less charisma. Yeah, yeah. We see them try to hustle other people and fail miserably, and like there's this theme of loyalty, um, particularly with um, John Sham's character, where he's trying to get everybody to remain friends and they're constantly bickering. And it leads to the ending where it's revealed that one of them's died. And, um, like, there's various declarations like, hey, don't kill my other friend. He's the only one I've got left. And, uh, like, I'm going to get vengeance for my friend. How dare you kill him? And I did find myself quite moved by that. It's very poignant. And it, I think it's because, like, for film, they're quite pathetic characters. Yeah,
0: I, I agree. I agree. It, it's surprisingly... That's why I'm not quite sure how to fit it, because... If I saw that you know in a script written, I'd say this doesn't work it's it's too abrupt, it doesn't go with the tone of the film. there's too many things, there's too many different emotions that the writer is trying to 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 insert into this, but in a strange way, it is effective i don't i don't I still think there might be a better way to do it, but in a strange way, their camaraderie is somewhat effective
1: yeah, and um it gives the film a really bleak tone because like ultimately at the end like just a doesn't quite prevail until the characters take on vigilante actions. And um, it's like throughout the film you're seeing, the little people get trampled on by people of money, essentially. And the people of money can break the system.
0: I do think that it perhaps, uh, again, uh, looking at strictly from a screenwriter point of view, I do, do think that the, how much they are involved in, in orchestrating the direction of the plot, those three characters, I do think it takes away from the agency of uh, Michelle Yeoh and Cynthia Rothrock where they for for a good chunk of it they're reacting to what's happening uh to the plot events that is majorly dictated by those three characters and their attempt to hide or exchange the microfilm I forget exactly the details there but
1: yeah it's like you it's tempting to like look at this as a sort of like feminist film because like uh, gender roles are subverted the women have to rescue the men and the trio of um Thieves uh, ends up being damsels in distress. And that's even greater in the second film. Yeah, But it's not, I mean, they're not really
0: rescuing them, are they? They're going for the for justice. I think rescuing the trio
1: is somewhat secondary. Sort of a byproduct at the end. Uh, yeah, but it's kind of like the females still have to operate within a male framework. And the guys, the men in the film are, like you said, driving the action. And again, that's, it's the same in the second film where Michelle Yeoh's character She's following in the wake of um, Hiroyuki Sanada's character because he's driving the action and causing all the chaos. And it isn't until the final third of the film, or even the final quarter, where she takes on the hero role and cleans up the mess.
0: Jumping a little bit, because I'd like to tackle this in order, but the the costume design in the second film is fantastic. Especially in the end with her wearing that kind of broad-shoulder jacket. Uh, I'm not sure what, how else to call it and and the gloves I think it's just fantastic and the, the final scene the finale of the second movie I, it's it, the, the, those images are among my top sort of what I think of it when I think the peak of Hong Kong action cinema
1: yeah she's dressed in black and she's driving a tank and she's like an avenging angel or like a
0: hero which is let us be honest it's it's a it's a Volkswagen with aluminum plating like, yeah. it's not really... It's a terrible design for a tank.
1: And, yeah, and it's like... Um, I guess, like, the Batmobile, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But she's coming in like a, a, an avenging hero at the end. And it's a really great transformation, like you said. Because she, earlier in the film, she's wearing pastel colours, like pinks and whites, so very gentle tones. Um, and then it's kind of like, boom, you've got the avenging angel at the end. Yeah.
0: yeah I mean, like a lot, and we can... They'll deeper into this, but I, I like I said a lot of the second film I think is just superior. Both the direction, the action, the characters, the sort of like it's it's I mean, the second film is very, is very much a character-driven story. Uh whereas the first one a little bit, but it doesn't work so perfectly. But the second one is just visually, it's stunning. It's 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 just I think it's a much better polished film. But going back to the second one, I did already say that I don't necessarily love uh, Michelle Yeoh, especially in a few of her comedy scenes, but I do think that otherwise she does an okay job for her this being uh, her first acting role. But I, I was really impressed by how good Cynthia Rothrock was, keeping in mind that this was her first screen appearance ever to be given yeah. such a huge responsibility in a cinema in a in a landscape that is an already established cinema. This is not the beginnings of the Hong Kong Golden Age. This was well within the Hong Kong Golden Age where the standards were, you know relatively high.
1: Yeah, this is a new spin. And to add to the sort of odds against this film, you've got two females trying to break into a very masculine world. And the introduction for Michelle Yeoh and Sylvia uh the introductions are brilliant. Like um, Michelle Yeoh gets that Dirty Harry uh, opening and like the intensity in her eyes and the sort of like physicality as she's jumping around uh, doing kicks that... So I guess you could say play on her ballet backgrounds. Like, she's fantastic. She makes an immediate impact. And the same with um, Cynthia Rothrock. Um, Like, can you imagine having no idea who these ladies were, particularly Cynthia Rothrock, and she gets held hostage, and all of a sudden she's kicking, like, the bad guy in the face and uh, doing all these moves, and you see them in slow motion. And she's just got a ferocious fighting style, like short, sharp uh, blows, and you can feel the energy behind them. Do you know if she learned
0: Cantonese for the role? I mean, I know her voice, her sound is dubbed, I'm sure of that, but what she was mouthing, was she mouthing words in Cantonese or in English? I'm not sure. I couldn't tell by just looking at her mouth in a few scenes. Of course, it's been three weeks, so maybe I don't remember. But it did sound, that that also, that's always uh, a little bit off. Uh, that always sounds a little bit off for me whenever you have uh, Caucasian actors or actors that are not native of Hong Kong that don't speak Cantonese. But their voice is dubbed, especially with Rothrock. I feel like the voice that they dub for her is a bit more higher pitched than Rothrock's real voice, uh, and it just sounds like there's something <laughs> I can ne- I can ne- never get past that. When uh, it just sounds like there's the voice that is not does not match the person that we're seeing on screen. I don't know if you got that feeling.
1: Yeah, she has a very like well, both ladies have um, short haircuts and their clothes are very functional much more masculine than you would expect. Mm-hmm. And I suppose, like, particularly with Rock, where she's much more aggressive in her actions and um, her persona, you you could imagine or you would feel, that she should have a, a deeper voice. Uh, but yeah, I,
0: I told this anecdote last time, but I think it bears repeating, that she was completely unfamiliar with filming in general, but especially Hong Kong filming. So she was emoting uh, her role, her lines, like it was being recorded on set, not being familiar with the fact that all Hong Kong movies are dabbed after the fact. Yeah. And it got caught by surprise. The other actors who, who said their lines a lot more quieter and she kept repeating, what, what did you say? What did you say? I didn't hear you. Or she wouldn't know if her turn had come up just because he wouldn't hear the other actors. Uh, but yeah, so about, uh, so we can, I guess, uh, say a couple of things, uh, move on to Royal Warriors where, like I said, it's also wall to wall action. But I do think that it's just general, the film structure is done better in the sense that it's, it's a more coherent, uh, it's character driven, and it's, it's all dictated by the choices that the three characters, the three, the trio basically makes throughout the film. Michael Wong, uh, Michelle Yeoh, and uh, Hiroy- Hiroyuki Sanada. In regards to the second film, the one thing that I that always kind of annoyed me was um, the some of the melodramatic touches that include that I I find them completely over the top, like Hiroyuki Sanada's uh, family subplot. Everything that leads up to his spoiler alert, his family becoming being assassinated.
1: This is like part of Hong Kong cinema, though, where they go for big emotions to make the audience really feel it.
0: I don't know that it's that bad. I don't know that I've ever seen melodrama that bad, unless perhaps you can... Uh, I mean, obviously, Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon drag and went for that, but that's a specific homage to
1: something. Oh, yeah, like um, the Fatal Termination, uh, where Moon Lee has to rescue a daughter from an angry Caucasian guy who's speeding a car holding the daughter um, above the road outside the window. Yeah, it's like like Hong Kong action films go for big melodrama to make the audience to move the audience.
0: I suppose so. I I I think it, it has not aged well. I don't I don't think I don't know if you have a different opinion. It's such a minor part of the film that it de- doesn't bother me, but it's certainly there. Uh but oh yeah, what uh, the other thing that I was going to say that I forgot was the same sort of camaraderie that we saw uh we saw in the first film between the the three medicine men. Uh, but to give them a name, is also exists in the second movie, but now it's the villains. Hmm. It's it's the villains, and I I I find it it was done in a much more satisfying way. Whereas the in the first one, uh, you get the sense that they never get along. I mean, they're always kind of backstabbing each other and tricking each other. Uh, and yeah. this friendship is almost like it's presented as a given. They are good friends. They'll do any, anything for each other. But just just buy into this. That's that's essentially how they present. With the second film, we have a much more, I think, uh, a convincing backstory for the, the three or four villains. I forget where they were in Vietnam together. Assuming it's Vietnam, right?
1: Yeah, it's a jungle environment, and it looks like they've got um, arm patches and insignia that make them look like they're in the service of the U.S. military.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's somewhat generic, of course, but it is you know it it is more satisfying. It's given it's given in su- such a so few brief moments that. You know it kind of it's it's enough and then we have the same thing about sanada's backstory where we don't know exactly what it is that happened for him to quit the police force but we know that that it it caused we know enough that he caused some kind of strain between his family and decided to give it all up and and when when things go south that's enough motivation for him to sort of remain into the story
1: yes trading on a lot of, like, uh, action movie cliches. And it does it up to 11. It's just really efficient scripting, I guess. Just to get us from one action scene to the next. And to have Hiroyuki Sanada's character driving the vengeance subplot, and then for that to be flipped, and for the gangsters to drive the vengeance subplots. I don't think he was nominated for a Hong Kong Film Award for this
0: one, because I thought he was great. He did a fantastic job.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was... um. I've read that this was um a, there was a, like maybe the Japanese section but there's like a co-production with um Sunny Chiba's um production company and um Hiroyuki Sanada uh comes from like um being taught like acting in action from Sonny Chiba, I believe.
0: Yeah. Uh but yeah he was I think the only award that this film was nominated did not win was uh action choreography or something like that. Yes, which you can see. I mean, I don't necessarily think that maybe Michelle Yeoh deserved a nomination or Michael Wong deserved a nomination. I don't know. Perhaps you have a different opinion. Uh, but I think as a as actual choreographer, deserved deserved it. But I think Hiroyuki Sanada, Yada, Hiroyuki Sanada was good enough that I can I'm surprised maybe he was Japanese and they didn't feel like it was worthy to reward him in the Hong Kong Film Awards.
1: It's it's kind of like with Cynthia Rothrock. He's got a similar presence, and you can you watch his moves, and it's just such ferocity behind it. It's great, but also like his stunt work. I didn't know he could fight. I mean, I've
0: only known him as an older actor in more recent Japanese films.
1: Yeah, uh, I kind of came to him through the film Ring, uh, the horror film, and um, then like watching older Japanese movies like um, Kaito Ruby. I find a he can do musicals and comedy, so it's quite shocking.
0: He's also like the one Japanese actor that kind of made it in the West, in addition to uh, uh, what's the other one? Ken Watanabe. Yes. <laughs> for some reason. But yeah, I'm all, I always know, like I did not realize that he uh, he can fight. I don't think they used a double. I think he, it's it's him doing all those stunts. And he's like, there's a di- difference between Ken fight for the purpose of a, of a regular movie, but the standard in Hong Kong cinema is much, much higher.
1: Yes. Like like with each of these films, you'll get reaction shots, but you also get lots of um, um moments where you can see full contact fighting and um like the ferocity of the punches and the blocks are just breathtaking. Especially when you've got professional fighters. But Hiroyuki um sonada, I believe he worked with Cory Yoon on um uh what was it Ninja in the Dragon's Den. So there was like I think he's been he had made um, films in Hong Kong before okay interesting
0: um so so yeah so that's my Michelle Yo, that's Hiok San well we can talk about Michael Wong and I don't know if this was already established but he always, he always kind of plays the comic relief in the movies uh like the the buffoon I, I keep saying buffoon I don't know if that's appropriate here but like a similar role right isn't that what he's known for primarily
1: yeah I guess so it's um I yeah <sighs> Like, uh, he's, like, his Cantonese isn't great, and that's sometimes the source of comedy in films. And, um, I think the fact that he has this sort of comedy charisma and the sort of cuteness to him leavens the the creepiness of his character because he's really insistent on chasing Michelle Yeoh's character to the point where he's stalkerish, and Which I don't think other...
0: it's, the film is aware of that. I think it's played as romantic in the film, typical in 80s fashion.
1: Yeah, it's like the guy who won't say no. And it's kind of like these days we view that guy as troublesome. But it's meant to be cute in this film. And it's meant to build up to that sort of, romantic moment of self-sacrifice where he's like, I, I, Michelle, I don't want you to die. I'll perform this act to save you. Yeah, I I think Michael Wong's okay. Um, I think he, like his charisma, manages to save what is really an irritating character.
0: Yeah. it. it I was always a bit, uh, I wonder if this is a censorship matter, but in the first interaction, she invites him to his apartment, to her apartment, and then he cuts to much later uh i mean something happened there right that's the implication i did not make that uh connection (laughs) because i mean because he first of all like his first when he arrived when they arrived from the plane right they he follows her he invites her to his car and she says no i thought that was a pretty cool cool line uh, she she just kind of cuts to her going in tax. Then he follows her, which is extremely creepy, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> I I assume the only way I think I think he, the film implies, even though it is not explicitly made this made this point, is that she hints there's an understanding that he will follow her. I think that's that, that's that's how I took it. I don't think the film makes a strong case for that interpretation, but whatever. Uh, but then he goes up to her apartment and she closed the door. And then opens it, there's like a, a shifty smile on her side. So she says, come in. And it's her apartment. Uh. It's, you know, the film cuts to many hours later. Like, I think I cannot interpret that as any other than they had sex, right? But I think the implication is that for her, it was a one-time thing, whereas he was hoping for something longer. I think that's what, how
1: we're meant to interpret that. Well, it's definitely possible. I just like in in my mind, I kept thinking, she's rebuffing him. She's rebuffing him. But she invited his apartment.
0: Like, how else? What what else? Like, what did they do? Drink tea and watch television. Yeah,
1: like- uh, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, uh, possible. So I'm gonna have to rewatch it with that in mind. Yeah, she doesn't fully re- rebuff him until like after the nightclub and the careers are on the line, and she's like, "You got to get real about this case." Up until that point, it's like you get the sense that the film's trying to play it off as she's playing hard to get, as she's teasing him. That's, that's kind of why I brought this up because I think at this point
0: in cinema, especially Hong Kong cinema, and my I wish my knowledge of Hong Kong cinema was better, but I don't think it was expectation uh, like common. Assuming, let's, let's assume for a second that we go with this, they had sex interpretation, that a woman was normal for a woman on, on, on cinema to, to just sleep with a guy without... The promise of a longer relationship, like hmm. there's a subversion here where a woman is just having a one night stand with this guy, and the guy is chasing her. Was we normally yeah. would expect it to be the other way around.
1: Yeah, because Michael Wong's essentially the damsel in distress in this film.
0: Yeah, but there's this kind of like implied promiscuity on on the part of Michelle Yeoh, uh which I don't think was common in Hong Kong cinema at the time.
1: What, what they've done that uh, they're trying to build an image. Offers as an action heroine that plays against uh like previous images of like Miss Malaysia or maybe like the chaste love interest would they would they have did, done that and had that one night stand in there? That's an interesting question. Well, I think it adds to that. It adds to that subversion of gender
0: rules exactly, yeah, because like I said, this was not common for for again assuming that it was a clear, assuming that my interpretation of of they had sex was is correct, which I honestly don't know how else to interpret that moment. It's not something that you would see a female lead to do in Hong Kong cinema, uh, unless hmm. you go into some strange art, uh, art film. It was just not like a. It was not like that kind of promiscuity for from female uh, actors was not seen. Like you cannot imagine. Um, uh, oh, who am I thinking of? The the co-star in Police Story. Uh, why am uh, I Cynthia Rothrock? No, no, no. Police Story. Oh, Maggie Chan. Maggie Chan, you cannot possibly imagine Maggie Chan doing that, right? To to, to have sex with someone uh, with the intention of it just being a one night, a one time thing. Yeah. Right. That's, that's she's a uh, good girl. Exactly. Uh, whereas uh, for uh, for Michelle Yeoh, I think it fits the the image that she's trying to portray in the song. And I'm assuming they did not make it more clear because of, like I said, they don't want to go too far with that. Maybe censorship. I don't know to what extent that was a thing, but or the morality police or whatever. Uh, just just imply it and leave it to the audience. Exactly, but that's kind of that's what struck me so interesting because it, it is, like I said, to to just repeat it once more. She she has like a, a somewhat suggesting look on her face, and then after closing the door, she opens and says, "Fine, come in." And then the camera yeah. the, the the cuts to the several hours later like how how are we supposed to interpret that right yes
1: yes that's, that's it. i'm gonna to have to rewatch this film without reading minds to, to go back to the rest of the film and
0: michael wong he is somewhat annoying <laughs> uh and i wrote this down my god he's annoying uh, <laughs> uh several times because it's, it's he's a, he's the one thing but i he's a one note character again, but I do think that he kind of redeems himself because, uh, the, the sacrifice, I do think it works despite his, uh, I, I do think that again, we have to somewhat take a step back and put ourselves in the sensibilities of an audience in the 80s or the 90s. Right. And I do think it's, it would be seen more as a romantic gesture. Even, even if you find the previous part annoying, his sacrifice in the end, I do think that it works, uh, as a romantic gesture. And I do think the, the punctuation to that is the flowers that he had ordered before he died, but are delivered yeah. after he dies.
1: Because he's like constantly giving her flowers and then you have that imagery of him plunging into a bunch of flowers. Yes, yeah. And like, the film takes time to set up him ordering flowers that would be delivered to her the, later.
0: The first time you watched it, really did good. you think he would die? I honestly did not think he would die. I thought he was such a likable character. Again, putting us from the perspective of a contemporary audience that I just don't think they would kill him off.
1: I kind of got the sense that it would. It's like this film is always upping the ante and there has to be some reason, some motivation for Michelle Yeoh to have that final throwdown with the bad guy exactly and she,
0: i forget if it's yes matter or this one where she quits the force is it in this one where that happens or is it i, mean, both? I think
1: it's like both, both. but in <laughs> the first one she's actually throwing the like gun and the badge on the desk in the second one she just walks off she's like i'm not listening to you anymore chief
0: i i, I see yeah that's right that's right you're right and then the, the final scene is just i mean the film is a lot of action there are several major action scenes there's the first one where she plays this cutesy tourist in japan and with a camera, and uh, <laughs> has like a wide smile the entire time. Uh, uh, there's like an action scene there. There's a, the major action scene in the plane, which is, I wrote down, this is a very spacious plane. I've never seen a plane. I've never been on a plane that's that big on the inside.
1: So uh, To be honest, I didn't know they were in the air. I thought they were still taxiing on the ground, because you don't, like like, everybody's still getting in their seats when the action kicks off. I think they took a lot of
0: liberties with
1: plane etiquette in that scene. Yeah. And there's like the moment where the hijacker bursts into the cockpit and one of the pilots like jerks their, um, the stick to the side. I'm like, why isn't the plane, you know, plunging into the sea? Yeah.
0: I, uh, I thought the, the scene where, where he has his hands outside with the speeds that plane go, his hands should have been torn off right away. Yeah. Yeah. That a, little bit, a bit of scientific accuracy there. I don't, I mean, I'm, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure his hand would have been torn off uh, right away. That was, I mean, it was a cool scene, but of course his hand fro- his head froze when he took it outside, right? Why didn't his hand yeah. freeze while he had it for like, like five minutes outside, whereas his head froze in a second? I don't know, but whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, this sets up that Michelle Yeoh's going to save even the bad guys which comes yeah. into play later in the film. But, like, uh, another thing about that scene which kind of got to me was, like, no one made an effort to secure a grenade after it was knocked out of one of the hijacker's hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that would, like, um, I don't know, that would have been one of the first things I did. <laughs> Just, like, grab the grenade, put it in, in luggage like, somewhere out of the way, so it can't be used again.
0: Also, I, I don't know if you noticed it, uh, but... Uh... When the hijackers, before the, the action starts, when the hijackers, like, kill the kill the guy and, like, inform the plane that it's been hijacked, Michael Wong is sitting next to Michelle Yeoh, like, is squatting next to Michelle Yeoh, right in front of the hijackers, and they say nothing. Hmm. I don't know if you noticed that. That's <laughs> so ridiculous. Like, why would they not either kill him or just tell him to go back to his seat? Like, he's there suspiciously on Michelle Yeoh's ear right in front of them and they say nothing.
1: Yeah, but I, I just assume they don't know who he is. He's And they're like, oh, he's probably trying to chat her up.
0: Yeah, but like, why would they, uh, like they tell everyone stay in their seats.
1: Why would they make an exception for him? Yeah, they just like try to establish control of the plane and he's staying still. So he's not a threat. Yeah. Uh,
0: so a couple, a couple of minor things uh, the, in the Fight Club scene, which is a, a famous scene for this film. It's, it's even before watching this movie, I was aware of the Fight Club. Of the pipe club, of the nightclub, uh, fight.
1: it's so brutal. Like the kill count in this is astonishing.
0: Absolutely, and it struck me how, and I'm mean, this is not necessarily a criticism, it's just an observation how uh, reckless the bad, the villain is. I mean, he just wants to avenge his friend, right? That's his goal, but he's completely yeah. reckless in killing
1: innocents in the process of doing it. That shows they have no limits, but like the whole plan, the whole plan is just like putting so many people in danger.
0: Absolutely, again, like they have, they're so loyal to each other that it that it's it's sort of like like it's a suicide mission. They know yeah. it's a suicide mission, and this is both the last villain who is kind of sort of like a surprise reveal in the middle of the film, right? Yeah, uh, and the the third guy who kind of dies, uh, like it's they're both. Uh, uh, take it, and it's this. I mean, I don't think there is any doubt about this. It's strongly that, of course, they don't want to die, but the, su- the revenge comes first, and their survival is second. Yeah. But uh, like a couple of a couple of my observations, I loved the tic tac toe decor on the nightclub, like the neon lights with the tic tac toe. I don't know why that stood out to me so much, but I, I loved that. I I want to get like a, a like a portrait on my wall, like a lamp, one of those lamps, like neon lamps that you put on your wall. Yeah. In the shape of a tic
1: tac toe board. typical 80s decor, I guess.
0: Yeah, but I'd never seen anything quite like that, especially, I thought that was pretty, pretty nice looking. Uh, Also, after that, in the hospital, uh, they have uh, like the casualty, uh, there's on the wall uh, the casualty wing of the hospital, but casualty is spelled wrong.
1: I did not notice that. Yeah, I I noticed it.
0: It's it's kind of things like that stand out to me. it's also I found out that Johnny To is the second unit director. Mm. Oh yes. And uh in this film and this was this would have been one This is definitely like Eureka released this recently. I think it's Eureka, right? Yes. And this would have because the the extra the the extra materials of the Eureka release I would I would have loved to get my hands on that because there's even like a, an interview describing precisely which scenes Johnny To shot and which scenes uh what was the main director david chung uh shot and i would have loved because johnny To shot a surprising amount of scenes in this. david chung was i looked him up david chung was primarily a cinematographer because that explains sort of like the visual aesthetic of this film and how emphasis it is put on like set decorations and uh, cost, costum- I and mean, just the look of the film
1: yeah or even like like the focal points of where the camera is, like you've got the screen uh image on top of the rooftop where michael Wong's like uh being held hostage and um the villains just pointing a gun and like the the way it extends across the camera just looks great
0: absolutely and i think it works because like i said this film is primarily action so a, a direct this could definitely be handled by a director who is not necessarily that used to directing actors in the traditional sense of directing actors because there's not that much acting in the the lactic that there is, I think he he handles it expertly, and of course, I I would love to see what Johnny Toh directed, just to kind of see if there is a thread there between Johnny Toh's you know like DNA and and the films that he's later that he would later be known for.
1: Yeah, like the the lighting and um, like again the neon of uh, California, the bar it takes place in, and like uh, is that a real bar in Hong Kong? Do you know? I I. I've seen, I'm sure there's California in um, Chunking Express as well. That's where I think um, it might be the same thing. Yeah, Tony Leung um, tries to, or uh, arranges to meet uh, Fei Wong's character at the end. And uh, she doesn't actually, well, yeah. Um, uh, no, spoiler alert. Yeah, you know, what happens, happens, and then he goes back to, like, the uh, fast food joint.
0: Uh, and then there's the final scene, which is also somewhat famous. And like I said, I love Michelle Yeoh's outfit. Uh, just like I love the camera angle, the shot, like the music, the soundtrack, uh, like the whole fight is is the tension is just so well, not just in the final scene, but the, the, the entire movie, the tension is so well captivated. This film is all about tension and execution, set up tension from the plane scene, the nightclub, everything. It's create as much tension as you can, then just let it blow up, create tension yes. and let it blow up. That's that's essentially how this film works. And it's. It, it, this should this film should be a textbook of how action movies again i'm not saying this is the best action movie it's not the best action movie even maybe even of the year cuz uh what's that other movie that came out the same year um uh better tomorrow i think a better tomorrow came out in the same year right
1: so uh films released in 1986 a better tomorrow picking up blues writing wrongs millionaire's express a book of heroes armor of god aliens Big Trouble I mean, in Little China.
0: Yeah. So so anyway, uh, but but this uh, how because uh, the action an action, the action movie is not just about the action itself, but it is what leads to the action. It's very important that, that that's often missed in a lot of let's just say mediocre action movies. And I think this can serve as a great example of how to actually direct an action movie that to get the the most effectiveness out of, of any script. I agree with that. Any action script. Uh, so let me ask you a question. I think I delineated very well why I prefer uh, Royal Warriors to uh, uh, Yes Madam. Uh, but you said you prefer Yes Madam. So why is that? What What do you think gets
1: Yes Madam uh, makes it better movie for you? I prefer the martial arts in Yes Madam a lot more. Especially like the final 10-minute <laughs> fight. The rest of the film, I'm not so hard on. Especially like um, the trio of thieves
0: yeah in royal wars i think the action is not there's a lot of martial arts of course but it's not
1: just martial arts there's a lot of gunplay there's a lot of car chases and there's like uses of um props like fire extinguishers and um uh sledgehammers so it's a a greater diversity of action uh on the screen do you think
0: so our first seasons we did a gateway films do you think any of these two would be gateway films Uh, to hong kong cinema would you someone if someone says i know nothing about hulk cinema what's a good film to start would you recommend either of these two
1: uh royal warriors you could um, uh, i think you could sell it in any territory like you said it's brilliantly structured um, great action scenes and um like you don't have to have dialogue you can understand what's going on immediately from the visuals. And the visuals all look great. Lighting, um, set design, costumes, fantastic. Um, the first film is a bit more reliant on, uh, action comedy formula, which is quite common in, um, Hong Kong cinema at that time. Sort of like, uh, winners and sinners and so forth. And, uh, if that, if you don't vibe with that, uh, it might not work for you. Um, and you like you might find the comedy bits boring. However, it you see so many famous faces and it gives you an idea of how people behind the scenes were also in front of the camera and talented actors. And again, talented actors could also be like behind the scenes action choreographers and writers and so forth. So it's kind of like when you're digging into Hong Kong movies and you're looking at famous faces and names. It's a really good film uh, to introduce you to that aspect. So the the second film's a fantastic action movie.
0: Yeah, I would say even the... I mean, I agree with you. Even the second movie, I would probably be a bit skeptical at having someone be their first Hong Kong movie. Yeah, like you said, I agree with you, it stands on its own a lot more, but it's still... Uh, like, as I said, it's a lot more polished than the first film, but it still has a few unpolished edges that I think don't necessarily make it ideal. Uh, I would definitely put it somewhat early in someone's introduction to Hong cinema, but I would not necessarily make it the very first.
1: Yeah, like Police Story is kind of like that
0: perfect movie. Yeah, Police Story, Armor of God, a few ones. Uh, Maybe a better Tomorrow. I, d- I don't know if that one is the case as well, but maybe. Uh, The Killer is one. Oh, and Super Cop. Supercop, Super Cop, yeah, definitely. I mean, we already said, um, I think, mentioned that last week. But yeah, Supercop could be one. It's yeah. a lot more Polish. Ladies like, uh, there's... There are expectations that come with the cinema of Hong Kong that that can take someone off and leave a bad taste if they're not used to it, do you?
1: Yeah, uh, compared to like later films in the Girls of Guns genre, like um, Yes Madam, A Serious Shock, these two are really top tier um, films. And I think, like you said, like the second one, I think you could get away with showing it to a person saying like, hey, this is like typical of Hong Kong movies, like the style of action and the quality of action.
0: How? I don't know if I've seen the other in the Line of Duty movies. How are they by
1: comparison? So the third one has um, Michiko Nishiwaki as um, the main antagonist. And Dick Way returns as um, one of her helpers. And um, like really great, brutal action scenes where you feel like people are genuinely getting hurt and you don't know who's going to survive. Is it Cynthia Khan? Um, Cynthia Khan, yeah. I think she takes over the rest of the franchise after this. And do do like, you think um, she
0: does a better job than Michelle Yeoh, or, I don't
1: know, Cynthia uh, Rothrock? She's a really great fighter, um, and I think she holds her own. Um, especially in the fourth one, where she's, uh, got, like, really, uh, audacious stunts, like, fighting on an ambulance, just like Supercop, I guess, with Michelle Yeoh. Um, and, uh... Yeah, I I like that film a lot. Um, In that film, it takes place partly in America and um, partly in Hong Kong, and the Americans are the villains, essentially. And uh, Donnie Yen, uh, uh, that was my introduction to him, and he's just fantastic in it. He's just full of charisma, hot, young, arrogant martial artist, and he's got this funny move where he he winds up his fist uh, uh, ready to clock an opponent, and um, even in his choreography, he manages to sneak in a lot of comedy. And uh, yeah, like the fourth one's got really great action scenes and stunt sequences, uh, whereas the third one feels a bit rushed, especially the ending where the uh, villain is just um, disposed of really, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, just so quickly, it's hilarious. But would you say the first two are the
0: best in the series?
1: I like the fourth one a lot, more. I think it's really high quality. Um, okay. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, and that was my introduction to the series. But I think the first two probably um, are bad but laying out the groundwork of what the girls with guns genre is about, sort of subversion of gender roles and like really good action scenes for females for the first time. And um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I do think, and perhaps you may agree, perhaps you may agree that like a lot of later girls with guns movies kind of tend to veer towards exploitation. Uh, whereas the first one, I think they are uh, much better, much better at balancing balancing that aspect of the film with a proper drama.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can I don't know, it's like you get the like the mindless violence titles like Dream in the Reality or oh, Mindless Violence and Comedy. Um and then you get some more exploitative films like Bunny Boiler uh movie Um Yes, Madam A Serious Shock.
0: Yeah, there are many. I, I probably have not seen most of them, of course, but it's just, that's kind of the impression that I have of the genre. Sorry, sorry to...
1: Yeah, like 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 you asked, uh, hint at, like some of them can be very regressive in um, how they depict uh, women, whereas the first two, like, there's no, like, reliance on, um, like, uh, the sexiness of the female characters to get the job done. They're professionals... And they're using their fists and their intellect. And um, and you also, there's this constant uh, theme of fighting misogyny because, like, they're facing misogynist com- um, comments from fellow police officers or from criminals. Yeah, although it was not so much in these two films. I think in the first one, like, especially with um, Cynthia Rothbrox, introduction where the two Hong Kong police, they don't know that she can speak Cantonese and they're like, eh, she's not good-looking, she's a bit... and, uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, like main villain in the first one is kind of like, let's see how the women fight, or maybe they should be in the kitchen.
0: (laughs) Sure, yeah, yeah, there's a little bit. Yeah, you're right, you're right.
1: So, yeah, like you said, the first two are probably, like, the best way to introduce people to this particular genre because they get the balance right. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what I meant, yeah.
0: Alright, so so anything else about these two films that Uh, we haven't discussed that you think it's worthy of discussion.
1: Oh, um, like, I actually wrote a review for the first one, um, which I hope to publish soon. Yes, madam. Yeah. And, um, one of the things I left out in the review is like, I think you've got a musical cue from John Carpenter's Halloween, where every time Dick Way appears on the screen and he's chasing um, Strepsol and um, Aspirin, uh, there's a musical cue from Halloween from when Michael Myers shows up. (laughs) <laughs> I thought that was funny.
0: Interesting. I, I definitely did not notice that.
1: Yeah, it's it's like this blaring on the screen, synth blaring. Um I think like both films use the same music as well because you got this um, ominous um which builds up in intensity as like the uh, fights approaches. Uh, yeah, the fight yeah, approaches. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, I mean I I just chucked it off as typical action movie music. Like it did not like the the music during the action scenes did not stand out to me that much. Unless you know, maybe I did not pay attention to it enough, but it's seemed relatively standard.
1: Yeah, I did it. I did it outstay as well. did it? What the music? Because it's constantly used in the second one. Certainly not. It did not.
0: I, I perhaps on a second watch. I, I. It was. It. It blended with the background basically.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I noticed. I suppose. Yeah, like. Um, hmm. Uh, incompetent police work in both films.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah.
1: And the, they don't bother checking the microfilm in the first one.
0: In the second one, I I feel like the chief of police is perhaps a bit more unfair with Michelle Yo than the first.
1: Yeah, he has no evidence that she's taken the evidence out of the station and looked at it. It's, yeah,
0: yeah, like he's he's perhaps a little bit more flippant than he she deserves, based on what what happened. But you know, he has to the emotions
1: have to crank a little bit higher than what would normally happen. Well, you have to have that scene where she's like, I'm done listening to you chief. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: Just, yeah, just fantastic direction in both films, the really propulsive pacing in the second one, especially.
0: Yeah. The like I said, like the, the, the second one should be a textbook and in, in how to develop tension and action, you know, to complement each other, because that's what the second one is. It's, it's build up tension, then blow it up, and then a little bit drama in between, get from point A to point B, then do the same thing again, and it just, it works perfectly. It's, it's metic- like, immaculately directed as an action movie.
1: Just, like, two fantastic action experiences. If you can tolerate the comedy of the first one.
0: Yeah, that's right. So the comedy in the first one, even, like, the first one even, like, started, starts her off on the knock note with the whole, uh, what's the first one that they apprehend? It's a a, a flasher, right? Yes, it's just that scene. I don't know. Maybe you, I mean, it's such a minor thing to complain about, but that scene did not work for me at all. And it's the first scene of the movie, which feels like starting off on the wrong foot. Foot.
1: I kind of just went with it, and then we got the dirty Harry moments. It's kind of like boom—we've established Michelle character. Like I did, like I said, I just went with it, and then we get to that like moments with the. Uh, yeah. And I card. think that's
0: probably the most common reaction to it. Uh, all right, so I—I I mean, I. Consider this as somewhat of a bonus episode from last week because I don't think uh I don't think we got enough of Michelle Yeoh last week. Uh, I don't thought I didn't think Supercop was a, enough of her presentations. I wanted to get you know something other than that and I think Yes Madam and uh and Royal Warrior certainly did that. She, she has a lot of uh she has a lot of you know action movies in the 80s, but I feel like these two definitely like represent her best work. I the heroic trio I don't think that was that good. What else does she have? Uh, Wing Chun. Oh yeah, yeah. That's more of a drama. Yeah. Okay. We talked about that. That's Enhui, but
1: what, was that Enhui? I know uh, the martial arts movie Wing Chun. Oh, no, the Enhui so.
0: one is the the one with this where she plays a stunt woman, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, but anyway, I mean, as far as representing Michelle Yeoh, I think this this these three movies, Super Cop first, and then uh, in the um. Uh, Yes, Madam, and uh, Royal Warriors, I think it does a good job at kind of giving an overview of what her early career was like. Yes. Before she won an Oscar, culminating in an Oscar in 2023.
1: Yeah, like, there's so many people out there that don't realize how big an action star she actually was, is. And, like, and, uh, yeah, this film would be, oh, these films are great introductions to that. And also like uh the genre of girls of guns.
0: Absolutely. Uh all right, I think we can probably uh end our discussion uh of the movie here, unless there's anything else that you're dying to discuss.
1: Uh yeah, I think we can end it here. Sure, yeah. Uh
0: I mean th- th- that's the thing. Like these are like I-, I praise Royal Warriors a lot, but I they're they're not masterpieces. Yes, madam and royal. I think they're very solid films that represent represent you know a good our uh, rep- good representation of certain aspect of hong kong cinema uh, yeah. and we both feel very nostalgic about hong kong cinema especially knowing how it has evolved over time but they certainly don't represent the best of the film of the of hong kong cinema they represent just a a, a a like part of what was a golden age yeah um someone said there was i saw an interview by a, a youtuber that does exclusively hong kong cinema i don't know if you know who i'm talking about um, is it Hong
1: Kong Cinema Appreciation Society?
0: I don't know, maybe. I don't remember what it is. But he said, and I think he was quoting someone else, so I don't think it's his, but what what is what is uh, defines a golden age of any given cinema, of any given country, are not the very best of that golden age, are the average movies that came out during that golden age. Okay. Those tend to be a better representation of what that particular era of any particular cinema in anywhere the world defines not the very best because those tend to sort of exist on a realm of their own but it is you know the average movies and average has a negative connotation i don't mean it by that i mean it more in the sense of the ordinary the 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 sort of like the more regular expectations of a good movie at the time
1: yeah you can see like the craftsmanship and the skill it's gone into the choreography and the action, etc. It's just fantastic in this.
0: That was common practice, that's what I...
1: Yeah, and, like, there are so many action teams uh, operating in Hong Kong at that time. Uh, like, you've got Jackie Chan's action teams dominating, but then you can also get films like Yes, Madam and um, Royal Warriors. Uh, we're working with Samuel Hung's action team and delivering this stuff. And, like, they're working on many different films throughout the year. That they're making these films, so it's kind of like that they're cons- able to consistently make action films of this quality is just amazing stuff.
0: So the youtuber that I was thinking of was Hong Kong Appreciation Cinema Appreciation Society. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. He he said that that I quoted, and I think he was quoting someone else. I'm not gonna try to find out who it was, but <laughs> uh, but anyway, Inception so of I, quoting. Yes, exactly. Uh, Some people interested people can look it up, but. Um, but i think that was a good that's a good place to end our discussion uh for uh, yes the double feature yes madam and royal warriors and now we can jump into the closing of our uh the closing segments of our episodes which first consist of the news so are there any news this week jason
1: that we can inform people of so i suppose like um the biggest news uh, in the film world uh last month um in May uh, was the Cannes film festival 2023 Quite a few Asian winners of the awards. So, best director went to Tran An Hung for The Pot of Fu. And, um, Which is a French think,
0: film, right?
1: Yes, it's yeah. a French film. He's he the same be, director um, who
0: did um, Norwegian Woods. Norwegian Wood and uh, Cyclo.
1: And uh, The Green Papaya. Scent of, green scent of papaya. the Green Papaya.
0: Okay. Yes. Yep.
1: And uh, best screenplay went to Yuji Sakamoto for Hirokazu Koreeda's Monster. Best Actor went to Koji Yakusho for the Vin Vendors film Perfect Days. And the Camera d'Or for Best First Film went to another Vietnamese director, Tien An Pham, for The Yellow Cocoon Shell.
0: So quite a few Asian winners, basically.
1: Yeah. And um, top prize uh, went to a French director, didn't
0: it? Anatomy of a Fall by Justine Triette. Uh, Grand Prix by the Zones of Interest by Jonathan uh, Glazer. Glazer, yeah. Okay. Have you seen
1: Perfect Days? I haven't, no. I've read uh, a number of reviews for it. Um, so essentially the story goes, um, show plays a toilet cleaner in Tokyo and uh, meets various people on the job. Um, he lives a life of solitude. Um, he has a routine he sticks to, listening to um certain music on cassette tapes including um perfect day by um i can't remember the singer's name um and there's something in his past that he's trying to avoid and um it comes out when a relative of his crashes at his place and it was um co-written by a japanese writer whose name i cannot remember and do you know if uh Korea does is this a japanese
0: film the one that korena did or is it a korean film
1: it's a japanese film um okay yuji sakamoto um has written a number of like screenplays for big budget movies and it's got a producer who's handled big budget movies before it stars sakura ando um
0: i seem to remember the reason i was asking is because i seem to remember you saw that he refused to work with any japanese studio after shoplifters i don't remember the reason
1: no, it wasn't. I don't know if he refused to work with them, but he, after Shoplifters, he went to France to film The Truth, and then he went to South Korea to film Broker. And okay, so he, I guess it was just a coincidence.
0: It wasn't, it wasn't like a rebellion against something in Japanese cinema or anything like that.
1: I don't think so. Like, he's currently trying to work to reform the Japanese film industry by um uh, creating a uh, sort of like um institution where... um. It, deals out, like fairer work contracts and um, people can go to them uh, if there's cases of abuse. Um, ah, action for Cinema. Out, okay. Um, those are that n- umbrella of a thing. In terms of other film news, uh, the Toronto Japanese Film Festival has started uh, uh, in, uh, runs from June 8th to June 22nd. And um, there's a group of uh titles like small slow but steady um, the fishtail offbeat cops plan 75 lesson in murder a man um father of the milky way road so like uh i believe these are in-person screenings in toronto uh they're currently underway and they last until june 22nd um and i think that's about it as like uh major news sources um go oh yeah maybe like Third Windows Films have confirmed that they're going to release the um, Giallo Psycho Horror Door um, mm. on Blu-ray, I believe. Um, and that got a 4K restoration um, last year and was screened at the Tokyo International Film Festival. Um, can't think of anything else.
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, this is... It's still relevant, but because it's happening a little later that the, the New York Asian Film Festival is is around the corner, right? Uh, oh, should be
1: yes. July out... 14,
0: um, I'm looking it up now. So, yes
1: they put out like the uh like the the major awards um the screen's extraordinary star Asia award goes to Louis Koo and it would be uh, the
0: new segment in the next episode that we do and maybe we'll have a lineup by
1: then. Yeah so it runs like you said it runs from July 14th to the 30th at the Film at Lincoln Center.
0: Yeah well, I mean it, that's usually the date that it runs always so that there's no surprise there.
1: Yeah And um, it looks like they're going to play the film Vital Signs at the festival. Uh, Remind me what film that is. So Vital Signs is a Hong Kong um, drama about the emergency services. Um, Louis Koo plays an ambulance man um, who's rushing from um, accident to accident. And he's a single father after his wife has um, died in a tragic um, incident. Why is
0: that familiar? Where did we see that before?
1: Uh, Where did we see that before? Was Indeed. it in any
0: big award announcements? Uh, for some reason, I it sounds it feels like a déjà vu where we've discussed that movie before in this podcast, and I'm trying to remember I... what, in what context that was. Maybe maybe I'm just I'm just remembering it wrong. I'm not sure. Okay, that that's fine. Never, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, uh, I guess that, that those are the big news announcements.
0: All right, all right. So so after the news is done, we can. Talk about culture consumption. So, anything interesting that you've watched or played since last time we spoke, Jason?
1: So, I finally finished *The Legend of Heroes: Trails in the Sky* um, on the PSP. Um, I no longer have to play that game, and I don't think I'll play the sequels in the series. It's a well-made game. It's just um, trades on too many cliches, um, and uh, I just wasn't taken with the grand story or the cast of characters that is with throughout um, the journey. In terms of films I watched, um on Netflix I uh took the time to watch Ocean Waves, My Neighbours the Yamadas, um Naushka of the Valley of the Wind, Princess Mononoke, uh From Up on Poppy Hill and Whisper of the Hearts. Um and I also also on Netflix I watched um Junji Ito Um Maniac Japanese Stories of the Macabre, which is a twelve episode Anime series based on his short stories, um, and uh, yeah, the adaptations range from okay to fun. Um, it, overall, it's a fun series to watch. It's really easy to go through because the pacing really fast. In terms of live action movies, I watched um, *Our House* by Yui Kiyohara, um, *Doppelganger* by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. So Kurosawa would, uh, would teach Kiyohara about filmmaking at Tokyo University of the Arts Graduate School um, for Film and New Media. So I was, was like, uh, quite nice to see the two together. I suppose you can kind of see Kurosawa's influence on Kiyohara because she's kind of got, like, supernatural atmosphere in the location that she's got. She makes great use of locations. In terms of um, other films, I watched the Hong Kong film Breaking News by Johnny To. A Serious Shock, Yes Madam, um, a Girls with Guns movie um, starring Moon Lee um, and Yukari Oshima. And, um, yeah, I also watched The Double Life of Veronique by Krzysztof Kieslowski. Uh, that was the first time I watched I was very impressed by that. Very beautiful film. Yeah, very great film, yes. I've, I've, I've seen it multiple times. Oh, okay. I'd like to hear your uh, opinions I, on it. Maybe I, you I, could have,
0: it. Uh, I have seen most of Kieslowski films multiple times. Well, uh, there, there are stuff that he did in the early 80s and 70s that I, I don't think it's easy to find. But the stuff that he's most from... The Decalogue, which is a, a, t- a ten-episode TV show that he did for Polish TV, the Three Callers, to the Double Life of Veronique—like those are—I've seen them multiple times. They're, I'm a big fan of uh, of all three of them. Yeah, I mean they're very similar. Three Callers and the Double Life of Veronique feel like they're part of sort of like the same series, even though they're different. But uh, um, um, the Three Lives of Veronique—the scene that I always—I sometimes I I'll just play it on YouTube—is the death of Veronique, right? Or what is the is it, Veronique, the name first
1: that she... Oh, I'd it, Veronica, the Polish.
0: The Polish one. Yeah, I forget her name. But the, her death scene is just probably the most beautiful thing that's ever
1: shot in in cinema. A lot of point of view shots in that.
0: Yeah, the, the entire, that entire setup from her to point of view to the other, Uh, uh. slowly her indicating that she has the heart problem to sort of like the... The float at the end. And the music, of course, that accompanies all that. And the the change in color filters that he employs in so many of his movies.
1: It's just this gorgeous golden, greeny color filter, which makes everything look magical.
0: The one that kind of distances me with uh, Kieslowski is uh, he he kind of tends to rely a lot of Catholic metaphors and symbolism. And that kind of... I don't always get those. The Decalogue is supposed to be sort of like 10 episodes. Each episode is dedicated to one of the Ten Commandments. Yeah. And sometimes, like, a lot of the imagery or or symbolism that is sort of, like, meant to underline his, uh, like, something that happens is kind of sometimes escapes me because I'm just not familiar with it.
1: I f I'd like, this this uh, one image which struck me as, like, very Theo Um Like, the truck carting away a statue of... Is it Lenin? Yeah, yeah. Something like that that entire opening sequence with the rain is just fantastic.
0: Yeah, and I think this came before uh, uh, Ulysses Gaze, where that, that famous shot is. So, so it... uh, Veronique is
1: 1991, 92, and is Ulysses Gaze 95? 95, yes. So, a few years before that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I would not be surprised that uh, Angelopoulos looks up to Kieff They're very okay. similar style, not just
1: for this movie. So, uh, more to discover
0: yeah all right so uh anything
1: else nope that's uh, essentially been my cultural consumption so what have you been uh consuming
0: yeah so i th- this couple of last couple of weeks i've been very busy with work which is why this episode is delayed by one week um and so i my my consumptions have been very limited so one thing i did is i i was able to play the sequel to the spider-man game that i mentioned several months ago on the steam deck Ah, uh, okay. So the first one was just Spider-Man, and this one is Spider-Man Miles Morales. Yes. Which is not a sequel so much as a spinoff. Uh, and it's essentially virtually identical. It's enjoyable, but it's much shorter. Mm. Uh, uh, but I enjoyed the open world aspect of it. You can just kind of like swing around the town, do small missions, kind of randomly solve randomly or stop randomly generated crimes. That's essentially the game. And there's the main story, of course, that just kind of happens. Yeah. Uh, I would have liked it to be a little longer, because the first one, I, f- I felt the first Spider-Man was a good length, whereas this one is, it's just, like, disappointingly short. But There's a there's a proper sequel that should come out in the upcoming months, I think. Yeah. Uh, another game that I played was uh, another sort of, like, 2D Metroidvania called Ender Lil- Lilies.
1: Oh, never heard of that. Uh,
0: and this one is yet another one where you have to stop a plague that's killing... That's killing all your village. A lot of these games seem to have like the same story. There's a plague happening and you have to stop it.
1: I made prior to COVID-19 or <laughs> uh, no, this one is
0: recent. Okay. Uh I am pretty sure this one is more recent. Uh okay, and then and the, a couple of movies that I watched. After last when we were talking about the Cannes Film Festival on Twitter, uh you mentioned Wim Wenders and um uh perfect days. And that reminded me of another German filmmaker who recently made a Japanese movie, and that is Family Romance by um, Werner Herzog. Werner
1: Herzog, so. yeah.
0: Uh, just to, I'm explaining my train of thought here. But so that reminded me of that, which I love that movie. I thought it it's it, it was a, a very underrated and under-discussed movie that Werner Herzog made. I don't understand why that movie didn't make more of an impact. But uh, so I, I kind of wonder what has uh, what has <laughs> Werner Herzog done lately, so that kind of, I watched his, uh, one of his new documentaries about uh, the volcano people, and it's called, let me find out the name, so The Fire Within Requiem for Katia and Morris Craft. And it's about a couple who sort of were known, not volcanologists, but sort of like were known for going around and filming dangerous volcanoes, and they eventually died after one such uh, shooting.
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah. (laughs)
0: I, and I also I, rewatched *Agir* because it's 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 the kind of movie that I kind of have can, can never get bored rewatching. It's such a such a
1: nice film, <laughs> such a nice film. Okay, <laughs> it's
0: it's I don't I don't know what it is. Like a lot of people find it grueling, but for me, it's almost like a a pleasure, like a a guilty pleasure. Like I I I have I have so much fun watching it. There's there's it 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 feels like a comic book film. I don't, like this, it's such a strange statement, but it 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 has like this this comic book feel about it.
1: Hey, we're just going on a sailing journey and we're slowly going to lose our minds.
0: Yeah, anyway, anyway. Um, but yeah, that's that's my culture consumption. I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but those are the ones
1: that kind of stand out. Okay, sounds cool. Do uh, you know what? It's always a good time to revisit all actually.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I thought of re-watching Family Romance, but I didn't know where to get it. There wasn't, it wasn't available. When I checked, it wasn't available anywhere.
1: It was available on Movie. I believe that's how we both watched it. It was made uh, free to stream. All you had to do well, was sign up at the time, wasn't it? I watched it. I
0: reviewed it for V Cinema, so I yeah. I received a screener. Ah, I don't think I watched. Maybe it is on Movie. I have to check. I did not check Movie.
1: I I believe that's how I saw it. It was like um, sign up to the service and you can watch family romance. So I was like, yeah. What did, what did you it's, think of family a, romance? Uh, trades on a lot of. Um, cliches about japan and um, i think um i wanted her to actually do something different but he doesn't question yuichi the main protagonist too much he doesn't push too far into like the persona and so like the sort of docu-fiction he creates is kind of like doesn't go anywhere unexpected uh,
0: I, mean, I i enjoyed that aspect of it. i thought i thought he was uh, it, it I don't I didn't I didn't need it to go anywhere and expect it. It was just, it was just it was just like a like an underlying style that it still tells a story, a traditional story. But in this, there's this other sort of like looming reality or realism rather. Yeah, that it kind of like underlines it.
1: Uh, yeah, just like weird Japan aspects, and I I don't know. I think there's like some problems emerged with um like the story itself, the central stories themselves. I'm not sure. But um, at the time of recording, um, beginning of June, uh, there's a film called Rental Family in Japanese mini theatres and um, directed by Takahito Sakamoto. And it's actually based on the writings of the guy who's at the center of Family Romance, L.A.C. And I think, to be
0: fair, I think most people felt like you about Family Romance. I think I was one of the few that really, of the few people that really liked that movie.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh but anyway, this could be the subject
0: of an episode later on. Sure, sure, sure. Uh okay, so I think this is a good place to end our episode. So anything to say before we close, Jason?
1: Yeah, I really uh enjoyed these action movies. Um I think we both recommend them. Um especially for people wanting to get in on the ground of girls with guns uh subgenre. And I'd like to thank everybody for listening to us. Um, and yeah, please get in contact on the website and on um, the Twitter feeds so, here uh, at HerokuRabitory. And uh, yeah, hope to see, or hope everybody returns for the next episode. All right. So
0: uh, uh, that's a, a good uh, way to end the episode. Uh, for next time, we will cover the Thai movie, Chocolate which will be released in 2008, which will be a first-time watch for both of us. Uh, Otherwise, as you said, Jason, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please let us know at heroic-purgatory.com or on Twitter at heroic-purgatory, all in one word. Otherwise, we'll see you next time.